Turn with me to John's Gospel. John's Gospel, chapter 17. We'll be reading the last two verses, 25 and 26. Actually, I'm going to start with uh, verse uh, 24. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known you, have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it, that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. Thus far, God's word, let us pray. O Lord our God, we pray that you would magnify and exalt the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for whom all the scriptures are about. In him we find we find the, the Redeemer, we find the, the way of salvation that you have appointed. Lord, we would see Jesus, we would hear his voice. Lord, bless us as we take up this final portion of Jesus' high priestly prayer. May your spirit attend to the preaching of the word and our hearing of it. And may you work it in our lives, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning we come to the end of the prayer of our high priest. We've been privileged and blessed to listen in as Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Redeemer, has prayed first for himself, then for his companions, and then for the church, those who would um, come to him through the faithful ministry of the apostles. Jesus prayed for you. If you are in Christ Jesus, Jesus prayed for you that night so long ago. Very much have been on holy ground. Facing the cross, Jesus was thinking about us. In verse 24, we heard that it was his will that we should see him in his glory. The apostle Paul understood what this meant, and therefore he wrote in Colossians 3, When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's the consequence. That's what... um, we were listening to last week as we consider Jesus' glory being made known and even manifest in us as his treasure, those whom he has redeemed. Why is this so important to Jesus that we should see his glory? That was the focus last week. Why is it important to him? Well, in verse 25, it helps to answer this question. Jesus came to make his Father known to the men of the world. But they rejected him. They rejected the Father who sent him. They rejected the very one that the Father sent in the mission that the Father sent him on. All were against him in rejecting him. Jesus, the Messiah. These 11 men that remain with him in the upper room, they have been faithful and steadfast companions for three years with him. They have witnessed all that he has done and spoke. In some sense, they've seen something of his glory already manifest. And so they've walked with him. Even as the people, some of the people, they recognize it. This man's teaching is not like our teachers. He speaks as one with authority. Even in that, the glory of God was manifest. And so these 11 that are with him hearing this prayer, they've witnessed all that he has done, all that he has spoke. That means that they have also been witnesses to the rejection of Jesus by the Jews. And they will very shortly be witnesses to one final and ultimate rejection 
by the Jews. My sisters and brothers, we too have been witnesses of what Jesus spoke of. With the eye of faith, we have seen the miracles that Jesus performed. We've heard him preach from the pages of Scripture. We have also witnessed the continued rejection or the continual rejection of the Father and the Son whom he has sent. The world does not acknowledge the Father, but we do, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus' words in this prayer bring us back then to the beginning. Verse 3, we heard, this, this is eternal life, to know the Father, the only true God. Jesus makes it clear that he knows the Father, <clears throat> and he alone is the one who declares the Father to the nations. To know the Father is to be loved, and to know what love is. We know it because God is love. We learn and find it from him. And it is Jesus Christ alone who is who loved the Father, who is the love of the Father, and who brings the love of the Father to men, women, boys, and girls. We're going to use three main headings this morning. Question, who acknowledges the Father? Secondly, Jesus makes the Father known. And thirdly, Jesus brings the Father's love to sinners. Our, our title of this sermon this morning really captures what this sermon's about, what the theme is. The love of God is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We begin then with who acknowledges the Father. In verses 25 and 26, in a sense, they're a summary of the whole prayer that Jesus has made. But that is not the best way to view them. They follow verse 24, and they serve as the basis for Jesus, as he said, desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me. That is rooted in what follows. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these, he's talking about the ones with him, have known you, have known that you sent me. Jesus addresses God as his righteous Father. This is consistent with his whole testimony throughout his ministry that he has come from the Father. He is the Son of the Father. He does the will of the Father. And he calls Father, the God the righteous Father because God is just altogether just in all his ways. Jesus knows that the Father is righteous, therefore he will apply the merits of his sacrifice to the ones whom the Father has given him. Remember the covenant of peace we've talked about, that the Trinity made before the foundation of the world, that Jesus would come in the, taking the form of a man, taking humanity himself. He would come in the form of a servant. He would humble himself and walk amongst the children of men, and then ultimately he would be sacrificed bearing the sins of his people, the very names of his people on his hands as he was crucified. And in return, the Father would raise him from the dead. The Father would exalt him. And indeed, those who the Father had given to him, he would redeem. They would be his people. And he would bring them to the Father in heaven. And Jesus calls God righteous Father because he believes that the Father will do exactly as he has committed himself. It's a marvelous thing to think about it. What do we have? When we come to God, what do we have to offer? We are but sin and filth. We are dead in our trespasses. And yet Christ is the righteous one. What, what claim do we have on him? We have no claim on him, but the Father and the Son have agreed that we, whom the Father gave to the Son, that when we call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. His merits, his righteousness, his substitutionary atonement, the death he died on the cross, the wrath of God that he endured would be applied to us. 
Do we not see that God is righteous? That he's kept his word. He's fulfilled his promise to the Son, even as the Son has fulfilled his promise to the Father. Throughout this prayer, then, we've seen Jesus makes a distinction between the world and, as we said last week, the given ones, the ones whom the Father has given to him. He mentions that multiple times, and we use that label, the given ones, the, the elect, those whom God the Father has appointed for salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 6, Jesus says that the Father gave him, his disciples, out of the world. They were once in the world. God has given them to him out of the world. In verse 14, Jesus said that they were not of the world because they've been taken out of the world. That's no longer where they belong. That's, that's not where they're counted. They're, they're now in a new kingdom. What's more, Jesus makes a distinction. He speaks of a contrast. And it's on this very point. What is the contrast? Knowing the Father. To acknowledge God as Father, and particularly to acknowledge God as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Many would say, oh yeah, I believe in God. I believe in a God. I believe that there is a God. And they have all kinds of vain imaginations about who this God is that they would follow, that they believe in. My friends, the only true and living God is made known by the Lord Jesus Christ. And to know God is to know God the Father through the Son. Otherwise, there's no knowing him. This was the great point of contention. Jesus coming down from the Father. He made these claims and the Jews were incensed against him. They accused him of blasphemy for what? He makes himself out to be God or to be the Son of God. Indeed, it was true that he was. And this is the good news. That indeed Jesus came from the Father. Uh, John 3.16 that is known so well by so many. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It was the Father's will. He sent the Son, and the Son came to make the Father known. And indeed, this is why John is writing. Again, you remember the purpose statement at the end of John, John 20, 31. He wrote what? He said, these things, including what was before us, these things, the whole of this gospel was written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Jesus reveals the Father. We know the Father through the Son. This is a central and the vital truth that we must know. We must acknowledge God as Father, the God, the one true living God, God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. God as he has revealed himself in his Son and in the pages of Scripture. This God, we must know him. But the world doesn't know him. Jesus prays for three groups here. He speaks of three groups in his prayer. The world himself is the son and these that's the way he refers to the men who are with him these perhaps he even gestures to them well let's consider the world jesus has clearly declared this truth that god is his father and yet what does he says the world has not known you or the world has not acknowledged you there's been a clear rejection this continues even to our day a rejection of god the father Revealed through the Son. The world as it's used here in, this, in Jesus' prayer, it's all those who do not believe. That's the world. You've heard me many times from this pulpit tell you there's, there's two classes of people. There's, there's only two categories that we can fall in. There's only two groups of which we can be numbered. Those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ 
and those who do not. Those who have new life in Christ and those who do not. Those who have been delivered out from the condemnation of God, the wrath and judgment of God, because they are in Christ by faith alone. And then those who are not. Remember John 3.18. These are condemned already. Why? Because they do not believe that Jesus is the Christ. There's only those two categories. And so here's the world. They're in this category. They do not believe. And these have rejected the free gift of salvation. These are Adam's children who continue in their rebellion. They're still dead in their sin. And here's the sad thing. They're content to remain there. And more than that, they're industrious in their evil. Paul writes in one of his letters that they invent evil and approve of those who do. This is the world. This is what we've been delivered out of. They have rejected Jesus as the Son of God and the only Savior for sinners. Well, they may be religious. They may be spiritual. That's so popular in our day. People say, you know, i got faith. You know, just believe. They believe in all kinds of things, but they remain. They're content to remain apart from God in Christ Jesus, to remain as they are, to dress up what they have, to make it look pretty and put a bow on it. Meanwhile, they're on their way to hell because over here is the only way of salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ sent by the Father, and they reject him who brings them to the Father that they would know God as Father. This is the world. As Jesus wrote or spoke in John chapter 6, he declared, no one comes to the Father but by me. You hear that? No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is the way. There is no other way. And in our day, that is so out of step, but we must stand on this truth. We must declare this truth. We must warn men and and encourage men to know that there is a way. There is a way to be at peace with God. There's a way to come to God and know him as Father, and it is through the Son. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus mentions the world. The third, the second group he mentions, well, it's himself, the son. Jesus declares this truth to his father. I have known you. Notice the tense. He didn't say, I came to know you or I'm going to know. He said, I have known you. Before the beginning of time and eternity past, he has known the father. And surely Jesus, as the son of God, has always known the father. The father and the son are one with the Holy Spirit. These three divine persons are one God. They're the same in equal in substance and power and glory. As Jesus, the Son of Man, the other distinction we make, Jesus has known the Father from the beginning of who he is as Jesus, the Son of Mary. Even from his childhood, he is fully aware that God is his Father. You remember that in Matthew's Gospel, I think in Luke's as well, that um, Jesus' family, Mary and Joseph, have come down to Jerusalem for one of the high feasts, and uh, they've left to make their way home, and they stopped to, to camp that night, and Jesus is in their midst, and they look amongst their friends and their relatives. They have not found him. They go back to Jerusalem, and where do they find him? They find him in the temple. And they're a little bit irritated, but Jesus says to them, Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? He knows who he is. He knows God is his father. He understands his mission. He understands what he's come to do. Indeed, it is true as God the Son, he's always known the Father. And as the Son of Man, he's known the Father from the beginning. And then there's these, the eleven who remain with him. 
those who follow Jesus, they believe his testimony. They, they're looking to him. Yes, they're young in the Lord. They're weak in their faith. Remember, they're on the other side of the cross. Uh, the fullness of what Jesus has secured has not come. The, the full outpouring of the Spirit that comes upon God's people is yet to occur. But they have been steadfast because they're united to Christ. Not just his friends who obeyed him when he said, come follow me, but indeed those who have been united to him by faith. They've believed his testimony. They've followed his testimony. They've been through all that he's been through. They have stayed with him. They believe that God is his father. And they know the father as their father. These are the men who are with him. And so Jesus says, O righteous father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. That's the critical thing. Do you know that the Father sent the Son. Do you embrace the truth of this, that Jesus is more than a man, that he is God come down from heaven, God incarnate. This is where we begin John's gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. This one that John writes of, John the Apostle proclaims, has always been. He's the eternal Word of God. He's eternal God. He is God, the Son. Do you believe this? Which group are you in? Are you in the world? Do you continue to go along and say, yeah, I know all about that stuff. You know, I've got my own little package, and I'm content with my box of religion. And when needed, I pull it out. My friends, if that's where you're at, you don't know the Father. If you are not in Christ by faith, you do not know the Father. And your condition is most alarming. For you must know the Father. For it is to know the Father, verse 3, that is eternal life. Jesus came into the world to bring sinners to the Father that we would know the God who has created him and be his children forevermore. Or do you know the Father? Do you know God as your Father through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm sure many of you would say that this morning. Indeed, we rejoice in that. We rejoice with exceeding great joy. It's what gives us a purpose for living every morning, whatever our circumstances may be. They may be challenging and difficult, or perhaps we're looking at an exciting week of time with family or vacation. Perhaps we have projects at work that are going well. All those things pale compared to knowing God as Father. And we rejoice in that. Perhaps our situations are, are dark and difficult. The, the future seems bleak, and we have little hope. Our hope rests then in this. We know God as our Father, and we are children of the Father. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, we've been bought with the blood of Christ. We've been brought near to God through the Lord Jesus Christ, and he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Oh, the blessedness of knowing God as Father. Well, secondly, we want to consider, and certainly we can't talk about what we've talked about without already touching on it, Jesus makes the Father known. Look at as he continues to pray. And I have declared to them your name. Now, certainly that's these, the 11 that are with him, that have remained with him, but it'd also be those that he prayed for who will be brought to him through their testimony. And so that would include us. First them, I have declared to them your name. Indeed, it was true. Throughout the three years they walked with Jesus, he was continually declaring the Father to the disciples. But my friends, has not Jesus continued to declare the Father's name even to this generation, even to us? 
what we see here is this past tense and a future tense. He says, I have declared to them your name, and I will declare it. Again, here's them. He will continue to sustain these men, continue to declare the Father to them, but then through them he will declare the Father's name to the generations to come. This is an ongoing proclamation of the gospel. Notice that Jesus ties all that the Father did and all that the Father is to his name. He says, I have declared to them your name. So much wrapped up in it. And we understand that. You know, if uh, somebody uh, comes and talks to me about you, um, they say, I want to talk to you about a person. Well, who? And they give me your name. I say, oh, okay. And then suddenly, you know, there's not just a face and a name. If I know this person, I know something about them. I know who they are, what their character is like, maybe their relations and their family, where they work. All that's wrapped up just by saying a name. How much more so are God? Indeed, the scriptures are clear that God is so much more than we can fully comprehend. In a sense, he's, he's, we cannot fully know him. He's incomprehensible. And yet he has condescended to make himself known, and he does that through his names. You think of throughout the Old Testament, there's uh, all these uh, Hebrew names of God that, that uh, I won't give you the Hebrew names, but he's, he's the God who sees. He's the God who hears. He's the God who provides. In different places and events where people called the Lord by that name because of what he did. And indeed, his names reveal who he is, what he's like, his character. But above all, his name is holy. You remember the third commandment. We'll be hearing about it next week. We're commanded to not take the name of the Lord our God in vain. And the catechism captures exactly what we're talking about right now here. It's, it's not just his name. Indeed, it is a profaning and a wicked sin to take God's name, any of his names, whether it's God the Father, Son, or the Holy Spirit, to use them in a trite or a loose way or to use minced oaths to refer to God is, is so popular in our day with the OMGs and all these other things. But it's also his attributes. He makes himself known through his attributes and his character and his word and his works. We know God through the word and to, to misuse and disabuse God's word. And, and we're to be stewards of the creation because God reveals something of his divine attributes even in the creation. All this is wrapped up in his name that we should not profane his name. And Jesus says, I have declared to them your name. Jesus didn't walk with these men for three years and just go, the name of God, the name of God. The name of God. It was far more into everything he did, everything he said. He was making known God to them. He was revealing who God is. The name of God. The catechism is so helpful when we consider who God is. He's a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. It is being wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. God is so great. You see, he is the God who sees. Think about that in your, in your plight, uh, your difficult circumstances. God is the God who sees. He's revealed himself. He's the God who hears. He, he hears the, the burdened soul, the, the, the soul depressed and anxious. He hears the cry of the afflicted. And he's also the God who provides, whether it's spiritual comfort or 
physical provision. God is all these things. And above all, he is God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what the people of that day, the Jews, as John refers to them, this is what they rejected. The religious establishment, even leading the people to reject that he is the Son of God, revealing the Father. Uh, the people that we've seen um, this shifting and vacillating as they, they warm to him, they recognize there's something here, and then they're turned away, inconsistent. But there are those who've come to understand the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is the God who has sent his Son. What do we get to call God Almighty? The God who spoke and out of nothing created all things. The God who has spoken through his Son and sent his Son into the world to save sinners. And the God who governs all the affairs of all men, all creatures, and the vastness of the expanse of the universe. This God, who is beyond our comprehension, we get to call him Father. I was listening to something or reading something a couple of weeks ago, and you know, the, our problem often is you know, we, we hear God as Father, and perhaps our Father was left undesirable. Maybe we didn't even know our Father. And, and that this idea of father is a little foreign to us. But you, you see, we don't take human fathers and say, okay, I'll think of God in light of that. No, God is the prototypical father. He is the original father. He is the one from whom we understand what a father is. Certainly you men who are seeking to be godly fathers, you would look at the scriptures and see the nature of God our father and seek to be that in your home and to be that to your children. He's our father. You children with loving and faithful fathers, I'm sorry that those of you in God's providence did not have that. Perhaps you're coming to know that in your heavenly father, but you little children, you, you know you can come to your father with whatever's on your heart, whatever's burning, whatever's, you, maybe you're hurt, literally you've cut yourself or bruised yourself, and you can come, Father. And that father takes you and embraces you and comforts you and cares for you. You see, fathers nurture, not just mothers. How much more so our Heavenly Father? Jesus is the one who then declares the Father to the children of Adam. This was the hallmark of his ministry, proclaiming the Father again and again and again. He says, everything I'm doing is a picture. It's what the Father is doing. He's, he's doing through me. I am his servant you see what I'm doing? The Father is doing that for you. Do you hear what I'm saying? All the words that I speak, the Father is speaking to you. Jesus continually declared the Father. He was declaring that I am the Father of one. He says to his disciples earlier in the upper room, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is the visible representation of the Father. This is what Paul says, I believe it's in Colossians. In him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So, back in verse 6, Jesus phrased to the Father, declaring that he has manifested, here it is again, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. That's what he's been doing. He's been making the Father known. Jesus is the one who makes the Father known. He's done this throughout his entire time on the earth, my friends. Even though he's ascended right, right to the right hand of the Father in heaven, Jesus is still making the Father known. Do you know the Father through the Son? Jesus has done that.
We say, yes, the Holy Spirit's worked in us. Well, Jesus is the one who sends the Spirit. He sends him forth with his word that we would understand. Jesus' work continues then to this day. And wherever and whenever the word of God is faithfully preached, Jesus is declaring the name of the Father. And since eternal life is to know the Father, then it is vital that the church be faithful to preach the word of God. Unmixed with any other message, no compromising with the culture of our day. Sadly, there are those in our day who say, well, we need to transform the culture. That's not in here. That is not in the Word of God. The church has not been sent to transform the culture. We've not even been told to go confront the culture. Jesus says, go and make disciples, teaching them whatsoever I have commanded you. And when we do that, when we're teaching the whole counsel of God, we're teaching Christ, we're proclaiming Christ who is the Word of God, and we're making known the Father through the Word of God. You see, the Scriptures are unique. That the breath of God, God breathed out through holy men of old, and they are profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And we must not make the error of the Jews always studying the Scripture, but never coming to knowledge of the truth. The Scriptures are essential and vital, but we can make the Scriptures something they're not. And Jesus rebuked the Jews for that. And he says, you search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. The lawyers, the scribes, and the Pharisees are all about the word and the minutiae of the word and pressing the word. But Jesus goes on to say, the scriptures teach and testify of me. But you're not willing to come to me and have life. John 5, 39 and 40. You see, the word of God is essential for it reveals Christ. But salvation is not in the word, it's in Christ. That we should look to Christ who is the revelation and the word of God. And then Jesus declares the Father to us that we would come to the Father. Perhaps this morning some of you need to consider this question. Will you come to Jesus so that he would bring you to the Father and that you be saved? And again, some of you, many of you have come to the Father through the Son. Rejoice. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. This is not according to the will of the flesh or the will of man. This is according to the will of God. God has accomplished this. This so great salvation that we have is in spite of man and in spite of us, God has triumphed in the world and in our hearts to bring us to himself through the Son. Thirdly, we consider Jesus brings the Father's love to sinners. Look at the last phrase in Jesus' prayer. I'll pick up in verse 26. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it, what? That the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. That's breathtaking. The love that God has for the Son would be in us. And that we, that he would be in us. This is what God has accomplished He comes to dwell with us. He comes to make his love known to us. Here at the end of the chapter, the end of the prayer is the purpose for which Jesus came. That the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. It's not apart from Christ. We don't know what love is apart from the indwelling Christ by his Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I will declare it that 
You see that? Verse 26, I will declare it that. That's a purpose statement, so that. I will declare it, your name, what? So that we will know the infinite love of the Father for the Son, and that we will know that love in us from the Father through the Son. Sinners. Sinners saved by grace that we would know the Father. The God who created us, the God whom we've rebelled against, the God who has every right to just destroy us in the fires of hell, that God comes with his love in his Son, and he puts his love in us. He puts himself in us. Jesus sends the Spirit so that we are one with him, and we know the love of God the Father. We know the love that the Father and the Son have. You think about what we were looking at just earlier in this chapter about the unity that we're to have as a church. That only comes about when we have Christ in our hearts. When the love of Christ reigns in us, then we can love one another with all our differences and uh, differences that are fine, but differences. But then also that we can love one another even with all our faults and failures because the love of God constrains us. The love of God is working in us. And thus we would have this unity that is a testimony to the world around us, even as we heard a week or two ago. But even in that, Especially in that, even now and already, the glory of God is shown to the world. Because we're one with the Father and the Son. His love is at work in us, loving one another, united in one another. Only God can do this. And therefore, God alone receives the praise, glory, and honor for that which he has accomplished in the sons of Adam. I declare it to you. But I have to tell you, I cannot fully understand that the same love that Jesus enjoys from the Father is in us. Oh, remarkable love. The sweet and perfect love of the Trinity is shared with all those who believe. Turn over with me to John's first letter, 1 John 4. One of the things, if you know John's letter, the first letter, one of the themes that runs through it is love. That's why we're turning there right now. Listen to what John writes, 1 John 4, 9. In this the love of God was manifested toward us. You hear echoes of Jesus' prayer? In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In this love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Children, that big word means he's paid for our sin. He's cleared our debt. We stand righteous before God. He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. You hear the language? In us. His love in us. Verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. It's the spirit who works us in us. the spirit who's taken our dead heart and transformed it to be alive. That is, in the words of the Old Testament, he's taken out a heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh. The spirit who has given us a renewed will and faith to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the spirit who remains with us. He's the deposit and the guarantee that we belong to God. The spirit then works in us that we would know the love of God in Christ Jesus and that we would love God in one another. And when when we know this love, 
that moved, then we know this love that moved God to send his son. Remember again, John 3.16, for God so loved. For God so loved the world that he gave. And that love then becomes realized in us, the love of God in our hearts by the Lord Jesus Christ. Eternal life, united to Christ by faith, that the Holy Spirit has brought. And being united to Jesus Christ, we are brought to the Father and become partakers of the love that is shared within the Holy Trinity. What fellowship, what unity, what communion has God wrought? And so we conclude, as the title was and the point of the sermon is, the love of God is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is found in no one else. In closing, I want to read from Romans, where Paul also is on this theme. Romans 8.31. What then shall we say to these things? Is that not an appropriate question at this point, considering what we have? What should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long, for we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing should be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord our God, marvelous, marvelous wonders. Lord, we cannot comprehend that which we have heard and what we consider. We know it is so because you have made it known to us. And Lord, we know it in part. Lord, may we know it more fully. Lord, some are discouraged. Some are downcast. Lord, may your love be evident in their heart. May they know that they are loved with an everlasting love, a love before the foundation of the earth, and a love that no one can take away, as we've just heard. Nothing, no one, can separate us from your love. O oh, marvelous God, God who saves, God the Father who loves, God our Father who keeps us even to the end, we bless your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. We stand together and sing.